Hello, and welcome to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. My name is Jonathan Rosenfeld, an attorney at Rosenfeld Injury Lawyers, LLC. This podcast is here to break down the barriers when it comes to the world of personal injury law. Each podcast will go into detail about a specific legal issue or type of personal injury case, from everyday occurrences to the esoteric. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For more information, visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. Good afternoon. I am Jonathan Rosenfeld, and today on the Personal Injury Podcast, I am joined by my colleague, attorney Martin Gould. And Marty, I am going to talk with you a little bit about an area of merging area of litigation involving abuse in an orphanage uh, setting. Um, now, orphanages in today's world are, they're not really a, a commonplace occurrence. Um, they were, this was not the case decades ago. Um, and unfortunately, one of the things that we're seeing today is that uh, there was a lot of abuse carried on at these institutions behind closed doors uh, over the past, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, can you share a little bit of background about these cases and about you know some of the cases that you're seeing today? No, John, the orphanage cases uh, I think are some of the worst cases out there because you're dealing with you know children that uh, are the most vulnerable. You know they're, they're they're at an orphanage for a reason. You got no parents that are looking out for them, and I, I would argue that there's even a higher level, higher duty that's owed to these children to make sure that they're safe. And unfortunately, it has been a breeding ground for a lot of abuse for decades. Now, orphanages aren't as common now. Uh, the Department of Children and Family Services has now made a preference for foster care facilities. So all the orphans aren't in one location. Um, but there's many cases such as Maryville Academy in the Chicagoland area, Angel Guardian Orphanage, uh, where they had clergy that were abusing children, volunteers or other staff that were abusing young children. Um, and it has been the basis for many of the cases that you and I have um, in terms of filing lawsuits and, and seeking other types of recovery. So in some of these cases, we're talking about the orphanage or, uh, itself, but we're also talking in a lot of situations about uh, you know, a religious organization that, that may be sponsoring the orphanage uh, or maybe sponsoring the foster care. Um, you know, in those situations where you have a religious organization who may be um, providing the funding, they may be providing some of the staffing, they may be overseeing uh, the placement of some of these uh, children. Um, do those religious organizations uh, hold some responsibility when there is abuse uh, that's carried out at these institutions? Yes. So ultimately, they were being, you know, a lot of these religious organizations uh, were being paid by the state to run the orphanages, and they were the ones responsible for the orphanages. Uh, so if you're looking at, for example, like Angel Guardian Orphanage, um, they had, it might've been run by the archdiocese or owned and operated by the archdiocese or, or different diocese, but then they, they were staffed by nuns from a, a certain religious order 
Uh, there could have been an association with a religious order that provided priests for a period of time. Um, and then, you know, there, there could have been a different entity that hired the janitorial staff or the teachers. So there's, so in those cases, it's important to speak with a lawyer who can tell you who the potential defendants are, because there may be many different entities that were responsible for the safety of the children within one institution. And, you know, when we're talking about abuse that's per, uh, perpetrated in an orphanage or in a foster care setting, um, ultimately, you know, these victims are really entitled to damages and compensation from the perpetrators involved and from the organizations that, that supervise these, these organizations. Um, when it comes to damages in these cases, um, what exactly are these victims entitled to under the law? You know, and we're, we're here in Illinois, but you know, in general, can you talk about the damages in these cases? So in, in a sexual abuse case, it's not always so easy to quantify your damages, but it can be the most significant type of damage you can recover in a case. And that's the psychological trauma, emotional distress, uh, psychological and physical pain and suffering. These are all things that you legally can seek compensation for, and they can be very significant when it comes to childhood abuse. Uh, the public knows that, you know, you, people understand that abuse when you're a child can cause lifelong uh, traumas. You can also recovery, you can also recover money for uh, counseling, treatment, struggles you've had with, with, with addictions. Uh, these are all things that you can seek legal uh, compensation for legally in most states. Uh, it, you know, in a situation where someone is an adult and the abuse may have been perpetrated at an orphanage, at a in a foster care home, uh, in an other institutional setting, is there a way that they can move forward in terms of pursuing a civil claim today when that abuse may have occurred decades ago? So John, we always encourage uh, survivors to come forward and find out what the rights are, even in states where the statute of limitations may have expired and there's no revival statute, we still try and find uh, a way to get resolution for the client. Um, but every state is different and the statute of limitations laws in every state are different. And it's also important to understand whether or not your state has a potential bill by a state legislature that might change the laws that allow you to bring your claims that may have already expired years ago. Uh, you can also bring a claim even if the perpetrators are deceased. That, that doesn't necessarily prevent you from bringing your case and proving your case, um, and you should still speak with a lawyer. Now, you know, a lot of, for a lot of these people, reliving the, these episodes of abuse is traumatic as an under, understatement, but can you give us a little flavor for how these cases can play out? Um, I, I, you know, having spoken to a lot of victims out there, I know there's a lot of hesitation and a lot of anxiety around the fact that they may have to confront uh, the perpetrator. Um, in your experience, how are these cases typically play out? Um, you know, are they going to be forced to, you know, be in a room alone with a perpetrator. Um, that's a, a concern that, that comes up frequently. Um, can you just sort of give us a little bit of a, a, how this process works? So at the outset, uh, we speak with our client, we go through a questionnaire, 
get as much information as we can. Uh, then we reach out to the potential defendants, whether it's the religious institution, a public school, a private school, and a former employer. Uh, and we tell them about what happened. And then we start discussing what the next steps are, uh, whether we can engage in a pre-suit uh, discovery mediation process where we change information. Our client can, can give a statement if, if they're okay with that to let the other side know kind of what happened and how it's impacted them. Um, or we file a lawsuit, uh, but it's but the, the client and what their preferences are always control how we go about trying to seek some type of resolution and settlement for them. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of communication back and forth regarding how they want to litigate this case and what they feel comfortable with in terms of next steps. Um, and so there's an element of control, just so people out there know, there's an element of control out there for the victims, but also in no situation would a victim ever be forced uh, to be in a room with the perpetrator without the presence of their attorney, um, correct? That's right. We would always be present and shoulder to shoulder with our, our client the entire process. Marty, you know, you, I'm going to follow up with you as some of these cases move forward. Um, we can talk a little bit more about these cases in detail. But I really want to thank you for joining me, joining me today and sharing your insight on these uh, really disturbing cases. Thank you. Thanks for having me, John. Thank you for listening to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. I'm Jonathan Rosenfeld. If you or anyone you know would like more information on any of the topics on the podcast, please visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Please feel free to rate the show and leave a review. Thanks again for listening and have a great day. Thank you.